please turn with me to Romans chapter 12. As we study God's Word today, I want to start with a negative, and I want to pull a positive out of it. It's going to feel a little bit weird because it's kind of an insult statement that I'm going to start with, and yet what gives the power to this insult statement is the truth that we find in it. It's the old expression that I hope that you've never heard, and I hope that you don't say too often, that person has a face that only a mother could love. Now, I hope that's not something that you say on a regular basis. It's a put down. It's nothing that belongs in anybody who's going to have uplifting and edifying words in their life. And yet, what gives that statement some power is how it ends, with a mother's love. There is something about the love in a family dynamic that cannot be compared to anything else. Think about it. You will do things repeatedly year after year for your family that you probably wouldn't do for others. Even if it's not reciprocated, you will continue to show love and patience. As we look into God's Word today, it's going to be very obvious that I'm not talking about the church family as a whole, the universal church, But instead, I'm talking about God's local church, which is most of the time what we find referenced in the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul, as he speaks to these believers that we're not getting along very well, he spends 11 chapters telling them that they are all equally sinners and they are all equally saved in the exact same way. And so he has laid a foundation to put them in their place And now he's going to need them to not just rest on this wonderful truth that they're all saved, nobody's better than the person on the other side, the Jews and the Gentiles all come to Christ in the same way. But now, God doesn't just take them to heaven once they know that. He, they are expected to move forward and to get along in this world that is filled with sinners, of which I am chief. And some of you are included in that group too. And he expects them to figure out how are you going to do it now? How will you get along with others who are so different in so many ways? And Paul's going to get extremely practical. We saw in the first 11 chapters really him talking about redemption. He got everybody lost, he got everybody on the same page, and then he told them all how they could be saved. He explained Israel. He explained the future. He explained the Gentiles. And wonderfully, we look at those 11 chapters and we have some great deep teaching. And typically, we would come to the end of a study in those chapters and say, what can you do with this? Well, starting in chapter 12, it's all application. It's all practical starting in chapter number 12. I won't review the first 11 chapters, but we did jump into chapter 12 already and we saw in verse number one, that there's an expectation of what each of us is to be individually. They were moving in Paul's day. They were moving from that day of the physical sacrifice, the animal sacrifices. And there's a challenge in Romans 12:1 for us all to be a, do you remember, a living sacrifice, a daily choice that each of us needs to make. 
a good way that we sum this up uh, with is by saying we can approach every day like it's a blank piece of paper, and we can pray at the beginning of the day, God, today is your day. It's a blank piece of paper, Father, and you fill in the details in whatever way is pleasing to you. And then you do your best, and you trust God for the rest. In verses 3 through 8 of Romans 12, super practical, we looked at the spiritual gifts. Every individual that is a follower of Jesus Christ has been given at least one and likely more than one spiritual gift. And we talked about how you weren't given that gift just for you to enjoy at home by yourself. That's not the idea. You have been given a spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit so that you could use it for the benefit of others in the local church assembly. You're not to hold on to it for yourself. And then today we're going to cover verses 9 through 13, and I'm going to challenge you that you are to figure out how and in what way you are to be your brother's keeper or your sister's keeper. We seal that from Cain, who that's not a positive uh, story uh, with that phrase. But today, when God looks at the dynamic of the family, there is something unique about a local church family. If it is not yet special to you, I will pray that you will take these words to heart. And it's weighty. There's some some tough challenges that are in here that Paul is saying, if you guys as a church in Rome are going to have success, you're going to need to do these things. So if you like to write down the uh, takeaways, just get your pen out right now because this whole thing is application. The whole thing is what can you do? How are we to treat others in the household of God? And then beyond that, not just how are we supposed to treat others in our local church fellowship, but we get to the point where we're not doing it because Paul told us to or because somebody else told us to. You'll practice these difficult disciplines because, are you ready? Because you want to. It becomes a part of your heart. You look forward to investing in somebody else that will make a difference in their life and quite possibly for eternity. All right. All that to take us to um, these wonderful applications that we find. Before we look at the first one that I find in verse number nine, let me share with you personally as one that is part of this family, but also one that is part of my own household where I live with my uh, family relation, there are certain ways that I pray for my family. There are specific prayer requests that I have repeated for years that are qualities that I want to see in my family. I pray for kindness. I pray for love and patience. I pray for humility, I pray for honesty, I pray that they will stand up for what is right, and I pray for generosity. These are things that I consider success as we move forward as a family. What would Paul tell you if he was here today? If he said, okay, clearly you're not going to get along super well with everybody in your local church family, so what can you do? Well, the first thing that I see in our passage is that our Heavenly Father wants His family to make sincerity with others a top priority. Make sincerity with others a top priority. We find this right there in verse number 9 
where it starts out by saying, let love be genuine. It should be that when you're in church, you shouldn't be concerned about the motives of somebody else that you're involved with, doing something with. If someone comes up to you and wants to do something kind for you or help you in some way or maybe grab a cup of coffee, you shouldn't automatically have the thought, what are they up to? What are their, what are their motives? I've never experienced this before. We need to have an underlying idea of everything that we do that we have a genuine love for others. And so we need to set aside those pretenses And we need to be very, very clear that it is not false love. When you show kindness, it's not just a Sunday morning thing. And clearly you cannot be investing in the entire group in the same way, but you should have. You should have a small group that you are connected with. They miss you and you miss them when one is not here. And you're helping them become better and vice versa. We have a very vivid picture of false love in the New Testament. Most of you are familiar with this story. Jesus Christ, when he was going to the cross, he was praying in the garden and tells his followers, get up, my betrayer is at hand. And it's at that point that we have this group of soldiers that meet Jesus Christ and his followers. And as they're in the garden, there was a plan. There was a sign That was agreed upon so that they did not grab the wrong guy. You remember who was the betrayer in Jesus' group. It was, of course, Judas. And when Judas went with those soldiers and they found Jesus Christ, do you remember what Judas did? He went up to him and he embraced him and he kissed him on the cheek. To which our Savior said, Judas, do you betray me with a kiss? A kiss is a symbol of love. And affection. And this was an outright lie. What a great lesson for us to not be walking with our family and having them wondering what our motives are. Let love be genuine, is what it says here. And then right at the end of the verse, I find that we need to be standing up for what is right and standing against wrong. You need to, as the family of God, stand for what is right and stand against what is wrong. The second half of verse 9 says, Abhor what is good, hold fast to what is good. And so when you think of yourself in a church family, when you think of those that you're going to be investing in, which you should be, there needs to be qualities that define them that are positive qualities. They are good virtues But we must not separate adding good to our life and good to our family's life. We must not separate that from doing away with the bad. Paul here says, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And we cannot leave it just at having some good qualities in our life or in our family's life. We must be working to get the the evil out of that. Now, I want to talk to you about evil and what we should hate. God is the one who gets to define what is evil. And God has communicated to us, His children, mainly through His Word. And so we let God's Word define what is evil, what is sin. 
and what is not. And so you're going to have to be a student of the Word if you're going to know what this is. Two reasons that I see why we should hate evil in our lives and in our brothers and sisters, the first reason is, is because God hates it. So whenever something goes wrong, uh, you know, there's, there, there's a, a sin that's committed and there's a consequence from that. The consequence will oftentimes naturally come because that's how the, the world is set up. But we should be grieved, first of all, because we have grieved our Father at doing something that He does not want us to do. The first reason why we are to hate evil is because God hates it. And the second reason we're to hate evil is because naturally the, God, the way God has set up this world is evil practices are destructive. You will see the practices that God calls wrong are destructive. And yet the world laughs. And the world thrives. The world oftentimes celebrates these. One of the individuals that poured into my life in my younger years is my Uncle Jack, and I have appreciated so many lessons that I've learned for him, from him. But let me tell you one thing that was a little, bit difficult, a little bit difficult about spending time with Jack, just one instance I can remember. Whenever you were watching a TV show or a movie or heard a joke about somebody that was drunk or under the influence, Jack would never laugh. Like in the show, The Andy Griffith Show. You remember the town drunk? What was his name? It was Otis. Otis was the town drunk. And I and my family, we've laughed quite a bit at some of the things that he does, and he comes in and opens the jail cell and sleeps it off. If you're with my Uncle Jack and you're watching that show, there won't come one smile to his face about drunkenness. And it's not only because God hates drunkenness and it's evil. It's because he has seen that drunkenness is destructive. He understands that his father, my grandfather, was an alcoholic who would spend all the money of the paycheck on alcohol, not take care of his family. He also understands that, but for the grace of God, he likely would have gone down that same road and had his life in shambles. But God saved him. He hates any kind of a joke or pun about drunkenness, not only because God hates it, but because he has seen the destructive nature of that sin. You need to know what God's word says, what he loves and what he hates. And then you need to understand there's a reason why he hates it. The reason why he hates abortion is because God is life. The reason why God hates lying is because God is truth. It is so important that we know God's word and we know how important it is for us not only to have good virtues, which are very, very important, hold fast to what is good, but also to not just not, just not do evil, but to hate what is evil. And then, next we find here um, Relationships. In verse number 10, he goes right into the relationships one with another. We need to be developing deep relationships. Look at verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And so there's a challenge here that you will have deep relationships with others in the church family. Now, I do not have a practice of standing here and giving you a pie-in-the-sky kind of a story from God's Word. 
Because if you are going to invest in others, in God's family, well, honestly, that's messy work, isn't it? That means you're going to get burned. It means you've got to show patience. It means you're not going to get your way. It means you're going to hurt someone and you're going to fail yourself. And you have to get right back up again. This is messy business that requires vulnerability. How many of you like making yourselves vulnerable to somebody else? Look how low all your hands are right now. Nobody wants to make themselves vulnerable to others. 25 times in the New Testament, we find the two-word phrase, one another. There are the one another's of the Bible that believers are to be practicing to each other. You need to have some that you're able to practice these to. And by the way, if you get on this avenue of the local church and you want to get involved and use your spiritual gift, you want to put on the oxygen mask on yourself before you can help somebody else, you need to understand that this is a two-way street. It's a two-way street. You are to be investing, pouring into others, being patient, and you are to allow others to minister to you. Some folks don't like that. I know some people, they, they want to do everything themselves, and they don't mind ministering to others, but when it comes to taking my hands off and letting somebody else serve me, meet my need, or even share my pain with someone, it's hard. And yet, it's a two-way street. The one another's should be something that you're giving and something that you are receiving. Next, we find here how God wants us to spend our energies. You're all going to give big energy, big effort to something. I don't know what that is. But here, we find that we are to direct our energy to the best place. Paul says, you guys, if you're going to thrive as a church, you need to put your energies in the best place. Verse 11 says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. When we see that word fervent that is there, that's a very interesting picture in the original language. It actually means boiling over. He wants your best effort to come, your boiling over effort to come for others in your church family and for eternity. And to prove the point, I don't want to go to the absolute opposite of boiling over because if you think of boiling, we're going to think the opposite is freezing. Instead, I want to take us to the picture that Jesus Christ used when he talked about one of his churches in the book of Revelation. It was a church that was not boiling over and they weren't freezing. And we find that Jesus Christ says those churches who are lukewarm, they grieve Him. People that are taking their best effort, their best energies, the best of their short life that they have, and using it for something that won't be around in a hundred years, that no one will ever care about. And so for you, and your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to be thinking about giving your energies to things that will last. You need to be bringing someone else along. God's way is for you to bring somebody alongside you. 
hey, have you ever? And then maybe you bring them into a ministry that you're doing or a need that you see in the church. I've had this over the years. Somebody come to me and say, hey, have you ever done this? And I said, no, I haven't. I can give you several illustrations of that. And those were things that would last for eternity, but I maybe wouldn't have stepped out on my own. To have a good, successful church family, people have to come alongside others. Hey, why don't you come along? Give your energy and time to this. Now, I will warn you, some of those things are going to be really confusing at first. Something that you might want to do that will last for all eternity, it might make you scratch your head. In fact, you might even fail a time or two. More than that, it might make people around you scratch their head. They might think, why in the world do you give so much of your time? Why do you give money to that church or to that missionary? Why do you spend so much time and effort doing that? But I'll tell you this, with those who do know you, they might not understand it, but they will come to know it's part of your life. When they're making plans to do something on Sunday and they come up to you, they say, oh, well, don't invite him. He's always busy on Sunday. He's got something going on. We always know where he's at on Sunday. It might not make sense to you at first, but God will let you understand in time, serving him, trying different things, giving the best of your energies I said it a minute ago, did you catch it? In this short life that you have, the 60, 80, 100 years that we have in this world, it's so short. And yet we are stewards in that time and what we are doing can have an impact that will never go away. And that's why Paul says to these believers in Rome, give your best energies. Give the best of what you have to things that will last. And then next, in verse 12, I see that we are to endure hardships with patience and with hope and with prayer. Now, I'm encouraged by this, not just because of the current day and challenges that we face in our world, but I'm encouraged by this because the Apostle Paul spent 11 chapters telling all these guys, you've got everything that you need for eternal life. None of you is better than the other. And then he doesn't just... Um, make it sound like it's all going to be wonderful with no problems after that. He says, in the church family, you're going to have tribulation. I think I could spend a whole sermon preaching about patience with others, about the hope that we have when we go through trials, and also about the prayer that needs to be part of our life. And I'm not going to give you much more commentary on this point except for two verses. And if you have a pen handy. I want you to write these verses down. I'll read them for you. One of them is going to launch us off into a song, actually. One talks about God's mercies and one talks about God's grace. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And of course, maybe that reminds you of that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. I'd like for us to sing that together. Sing just that first verse with me. Here we go. 
Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Tomorrow morning, he will be faithful to bring exactly the amount of mercy that you need. The second scripture I want you to write down is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Just this past week, I sent out a message to someone who I thought needed some encouragement. And I tagged this verse on there, which says, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It very well could be that this day, God's power is going to shine because some of your weaknesses are just so evident. Paul says, I rejoice in my weaknesses, not in his sins but just in his weaknesses, because it's then that God can be so obvious to us. And then in verse 13, I find that we as a church family need to be generous and hospitable. Verse 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You don't have to spend time very much with someone to find out if they're a stingy person or not. If you spend enough time with someone, you'll find out if they're generous or if they are one who is fighting for every penny they can get. You know, really, this command to be generous and to not be selfish comes from the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. And as you spend time with others, you need to have. It is my prayer for you and with those that you're around, that there will be a spirit of generosity. And with all of these, you might look at them and say, that's a lot. Maybe you should have given us just two of those this Sunday. Maybe we can handle two of those. But for all of those, that's quite a load to carry. Paul did not say it would be easy in the local church. And this is a lot for us to do. It is something that you cannot do on your own, but it has to be the power of God within you that's making this happen. But really, I think it comes to perspective. I think if you and I will have the right perspective on this, then we really won't view this as that huge of a load. Boys Town 
Ministries or organization that was established over a hundred years ago has done a wonderful work for, for, for a long time to help boys and girls that are in abusive relationships. When it started back in 1917, it started just for boys and it met an incredible need. And several years later, in 1943, Boys Town actually adopted their logo. Back before logos were cool and everybody had to have one, they adopted their logo in 1943. Most people have seen that logo. It's the picture of a boy carrying another boy on his back. And thousands have seen that logo for the Boys Town organization. But most don't know where that logo came from. I'm going to share that with you. In the second year that Boys Town was open and they were helping out these boys that needed help, there was a young man that was there whose name was Howard. Howard had polio. Howard had been abused, and so he came to Boys Town. Because of his polio, he had to wear braces, heavy braces on his legs. And they made it difficult for him to walk and very difficult for him to climb stairs. Well, the other boys there caught on that it was hard for Howard to climb the stairs. And so they started a practice. They would have Howard jump on their backs and carry him, carry him up the stairs. One day, there was an older boy named Reuben, and he was giving a ride to Howard on his back up the stairs. And as they were going up the stairs, one of the workers there saw that, and he was so pleased by it. And here's the question that that worker asked Reuben. He said, Reuben, is that hard work? And Reuben's response was this, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. And of course, the, the, the group, the Hollies, would go on to turn that into a song years later. But if you can take all these difficult challenges that God gives us, not quit, not give up, but understand she is my sister, he is my brother, God has given us this until Jesus Christ comes back in the clouds. And brothers and sisters, there is something very unique and something special about a family dynamic. God beautifully has put you into a family, not just for yourself, but for others. And we're only to do this until our Savior comes back in the clouds for His children. We look forward to that day, but until then, let's keep working. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, when we look to you, we understand that we are recipients of your mercy. Thank you that you don't give us what we deserve. Recipients of your grace. We praise you that you give us the things that we don't deserve. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being there for us. I praise you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus Christ left this world and went up into heaven, he said something better is going to come, and each of your sons and daughters has the Holy Spirit present with them always. We thank you for this. But God, beyond that, thank you so much for the local church. God, I know that it gets messy. I know that it's difficult. I know that we all, while we're working in this local church, have our sin nature still. But God, help us not to give up on your plan. I would pray today that someone would be challenged, challenged for how they can encourage someone or bring someone else alongside. Maybe be encouraged. 
God, we thank you. Thank you for what you've given us. We thank you that no matter what climate we are in, in this world, you have given us exactly what we need, not just to survive, but to thrive. With heads bowed and eyes closed as the piano plays through, I want to ask you to take some time to pray and reflect. There were several applications that maybe one of them jumped out to you, maybe you need to do better on. Maybe you'll pray about what God laid on your heart. It could be that you're here today and you're not sure if you're on your way to heaven. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And all you have to do is ask him for forgiveness and make you his son or his daughter. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Take a moment to pray whatever God lays on your heart now. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with